Hello and welcome to the Social Club podcast. My name is Craig Dearden Phillips and in this edition we're talking to Andy Ratcliffe who is the um, Executive Director of um, Impact on Urban Health and he was with us talking about mental health and leadership based on his own story. Listen, this is good. I was really taken by your third sector article, which we, we've, we've, we've circulated quite a bit and encourage people to read. But in case people haven't read it, would, would you be so kind as just to kind of, in your own words, walk us through um, the article and, and, and kind of why you wrote the article when you did as well? Because uh, it's a very personal piece, but perhaps tell us a bit more. Yeah, of course. No, thank, thanks, for, thanks very much for having me, um, Craig. Um, just, just before I get into it, um, just wanted to say a few things by way of context, really. So um, probably the most important is that I'm not a mental health expert, specialist. Um, I'm not pretending to be. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about my own experience and particularly some of the things I sort of experienced trying to be a leader in the sector. Um, but it might be that my lessons aren't right or they apply to me, but not others. And so please take everything with that very big um, pinch of pinch of salt. Um, I, I think I said this in the article, but people have been very, 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 very nice to me uh, in saying thank you for sharing some of this stuff. But I am also really conscious that i i think it's easier for me to share it than it would be for um some of the people and i think i said in the article about being a a big <laughs> a big white man um i do think that makes it makes it easier for me to share because i sort of people assume that i have strength and therefore being able to share vulnerability uh kind of gets interpreted differently than people who through prejudice and stereotyping wouldn't have that association. So I'm, I, I always say that because I don't think it's as easy for others to share this stuff and nor as I'll come on to, do I think everyone uh, should or needs to, to share. Um, uh, I might get a little bit upset talking about it. Um, that is totally fine. Um, I've, I've, said to Craig, if, if anything's beyond uh, where I feel comfortable, I'll just stop. Um, so uh, don't worry about that and don't let it hold you back in terms of asking any questions or whatever. I feel uh, one of the things I've got used to is crying a bit occasionally. Um, so it doesn't mean uh, anything bad's happening or that there's a problem. It's just obviously uh, talking about some emotional times. And then finally, um, <laughs> I always think there's a danger with these things that you... Um, you get a version of like the job interview story where someone says talk about hard time and you always come out of it as like a, a great hero who conquered everything. Um, I've still got mental health problems. I've actually had a pretty bad uh, few weeks. Um, so this is not, um, oh, look, look, look how you can come through these things and come out the other side. But I actually think that's a, in a way, a more important lesson for me, which is that you can, with the right people around you and the right support, still do big, important jobs during um, having mental health uh, challenges. Um, 
but yeah, I didn't want it to feel like uh, <laughs> hero's journey or <laughs> whatever those whatever those stories are. So I just wanted to say that um, up front. Um, very quickly, then, just practically what happened. Um, uh, I woke up um, in the middle of the night one night and started crying and um, couldn't stop um, and couldn't stop for something like six hours. Um, went to the doctors um, with my wife um, and took some took some immediate time off. Um, took a week off, got some uh, help and support, both medication and um, talking therapies. Um, and then went back um, and worked for a few months, including some of the busiest and some ways most successful months of my career, which I'll come on to. Um, but then that summer, so that was in the January, that summer I then needed to take a more prolonged period off. So I took two months uh, two months off, half of it um, leave and half of it um, sick. And then and this is another thing that I felt was important to say is that I then came back and did my job effectively again. I've subsequently moved jobs, but it was really important to me to move having knowing that I could still do it because I didn't want to move to a job feeling that I couldn't do the next one. And so um, I didn't want people to say, oh, look, he's talking about one experience and now he's in a different job. I didn't move because of uh, the mental health situation. Um, I was back working steadily and it was just the, the right the right time for it. So that's kind of what happened. Um, I was open about it at the time, to the immediate stakeholders. Um, so I was very open with my own board, my own team. Um, there was no secret, but I hadn't talked about it more publicly than that until um, this Mental Health Awareness Week. So that's um, uh, a couple of years after. And the reason that I did was that um, four different uh, CEOs in the sector had totally independently got in touch with me um, with their own mental health problems because they know they knew that I'd been through some uh, some of these challenges within a couple of month period. And it just made me think that if I was hearing that just from my own networks, there must be a lot of people out there struggling. So I wanted to just talk about my own experience in case it would be helpful to, to anyone. So that's the... That's the why. And then I'm always, I'm a bit nervous talking about what I learned from it, but my own, my own experience was, so first of all, I was really scared of telling people and I really thought about, should I tell people what, why I'm off? Um, and people, my first lesson was that people were great. Like and including some people where I wasn't really wasn't sure they would be. Some of my board, as Craig knows, were from a pretty hard-nosed financial world where they are not shy of sacking CEOs. Um, and it wasn't obvious to me that um, how they'd react. Um, and without exception, people straight away rang me up. People straight away offered offered help and in fact a lot of people opened up about their own experiences and I ended up with in some ways closer relationships 
with with those people after it. But that was the that was a really positive experience that even people that I wasn't sure would have sort of nice open attitudes on these things were really supportive. Um, second lesson, um, <laughs> I was much less important than I thought I was. The organisation was fine. The team were great. Everyone stepped up. And that's a good reminder of humility as leaders. And particularly, actually, if you think you've done a good job, that's what it should be like. Um, but you spend a lot of time as a CEO in particular being told directly or implicitly that you're very important to the organisation's success or I'm investing in you or we back leaders and um, great organisations have leaders all over them. And um, I think I was probably doing something that was useful there, but the, they were fine. <laughs> the organisation was fine. It didn't fall over. Um, so I was less important than I thought I was. Um, the third was that you can still do big stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and the relationship between how big and scary a, ta a task was and, and my mental health was actually quite peculiar. So I would do, I did some quite big things. Like we negotiated this 200 million pound contract with the home office right in the middle of this. Um, and so that was like, 40 years worth of our turnover <laughs> in one go. It was quite a big deal. And it was totally fine. Like I led the negotiation. That bit was totally fine. Like I think I was saying to Craig, we used to do a big annual fundraiser, which was where well, we'd raise like a million pounds in a night. And I would have to do the sort of big speech at it. And I was crying two hours before that. And again, it was fine. And then there was little things like a, a difficult conversation with a colleague that were really hard. And so it, it, I think it's quite easy to think that the pressure and the mental health toll goes up with the importance of the scale of the work. And I just didn't find that at all, actually. Um, and some of the, some of the, uh, like acting bits of being a leader where you're putting on a front were actually uh, in some ways easier uh, than the things where it's just you. And so that was one of the things that was really interesting and has helped me like manage um, my own sort of emotional workload is I can spot better now what the more emotional things will be than I, I could in the past. Um, the fourth thing I wanted to say is um, I think in some ways – people leaders now almost feel a pressure to share in some of these things um it's kind of like the good thing to do now certainly in our sector is to talk about these things and I really wanted to say like I made a choice to there was no real option for me not to tell my immediate team I was crying like <laughs> there was nothing heroic about that choice but I also don't think um Anyone, I think it would be ironic if people felt pressure to talk about these things that they don't want to. People are, people are different and people need to be able to respect their privacy. So I think one lesson that we shouldn't draw is that like being a good leader means talking about all this stuff. Um, if no one did, it would be a problem, but I don't think it means that everyone, everyone has to. Um, 
And then the the last thing was just like, things do get better. Um, I think one of the one of the sort of classic things that happens with mental health is what they call catastrophizing, where you just think of the worst possible scenario. And I I thought this will I'll get a bit upset talking about this, but don't worry. Um, I really thought I'd never be a leader again. Um, like. I'd always done big, high-pressure jobs. I was like in politics and um, in the social sector, and I really thought I'd never get another one. Um, and that was that was the scariest. Um, that was the scariest bit of the whole thing. And so, if anyone here or we share this is going through something similar, I think that's probably the most important message of all. Is like, even when it feels like that. It will get better. You will get out the other side, and you can, if you want to, do similar jobs or do, do different things. But like, use the best of your abilities still, um, even even if you've had a really, really hard time. So, Craig, those were the main Thank you. sort of lessons. I had a couple of practical things because that was the other thing that I really learned is like a lot of the hard stuff is sorted out like logistics <laughs> of how to manage this stuff so two two things on on that so uh one like have the conversation with your team before (laughs) it happens so in fact i've just been talking to my immediate team some of whom are in the room about i'm having a bit of a tough time at the moment what do we do if i have to go off and it's a bit weird but actually it's a healthy conversation to be having anyway and the thing I learned from going off twice is the first time there were some things that weren't clear enough. And it was like, how does internal communications work? Who decides this? Um, those sort of practicalities, how do we tell the fund the funders? Everyone f- felt much, much better the second time I went off because we just talked all that through. And I think as organizations, we you talk about key person risk in a very, very kind of abstract way. I actually think it's really healthy, like once a year, just to say, so if this person goes off, what do we actually do? And write it down on a page. And that's that's one of the things we're, we're trying to uh, do as a team, actually, like literally uh, uh, this week. And then the other practical thing that I just wanted to mention um, is that as a leader, you end up having two quite different conversations with your chair or your boss and you need to kind of acknowledge them so one is your boss as a person trying to support you and make sure you're okay but the other thing you have to acknowledge is that you're top of your own risk register (laughs) and you need to be able to talk about both and in fact it helped with my mental health side that I knew that we were also taking care of the risk side because I, one of my big worries was, am I letting people down? Is the work going to stop because I care about the work? And so just being explicit, right? Okay, I really appreciate all the support and talking through what's going on. Can we do the planning stuff too? <laughs> um, can we talk about like uh, what we what we do with that event? Can we talk about who meet, does that meeting? Um, and just almost saying, I'm going to put that business hat back on, <laughs> I thought was really really helpful and my chair and I we 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 sort of developed a language where we kind of distinguish which one we were 
we were doing one. So that was the other practical thing I thought might be of interest to um, some colleagues. Sorry, Craig, that was super duper long. No, um, that, that, that was <laughs> no. I, I, I think it was, and it was, it was. Uh, you captured both, obviously, at the article really well, and which reflects that that experience from. Um, you know, because I, I I was one of your trustees at the time, and and it was yeah, I, I I I sort of indirectly saw what you were experiencing, uh, and it you know, some people in leadership roles, you know, when 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 things stuff like this happens, they they decide, you know, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna become academic, I'm gonna I'm gonna paint, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a bit of a step back, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna swim in calmer waters. Um, because I know that's what keeps me kind of happier, weller, calmer. You, you've, you've jumped back into a senior job. Um, and I, I was kind of interested in the, in the thought process that made you think, you know, I retired from chief exec work at 40 because I could, I could see it kind of, you know, kind of dragging me down a bit. Um, and I do other stuff now that's, that's easier on my head. <laughs> um, you, you, you've, you've, you've jumped straight back in the deep end. Um, I, I was really interested in, in your in, in your your thought processes around. Okay, so this has been really hard. What what am I going to do next? That that bit that because that's that to me is quite a you know what you've done is is you've really faced you've you've faced some of the difficult stuff in and and you've gone to another job which will have also very difficult chief executive stuff in it. So I was kind of interested in your in in that that thought process as you move from impetus into another leadership role. Yeah, and it was it was um, that was a difficult process because I was also it was during the pandemic that I was looking to move. In fact, I I agreed to do six months notice at Impetus so that we had plenty of time. And then exactly halfway through that, the pandemic started. So uh, it was a funny time to be have, thinking about those those things. To be honest, the biggest reason that I felt comfortable with that was knowing Kieran who's our CEO and knowing the organization and um, I've been um, I've been on the uh, advisory group for the organization for quite a long time and so I was very firstly very open with both the chair while and Kieran about having mental health problems um, and they didn't blink, which itself tells you something about them and the organization. But I just I also just felt yeah, felt comfortable that it was a good supportive environment. Um and then the other thing was that um what I said earlier about still being able to do some of the big important aspects of the job well gave me confidence that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do it in the same way. And there would definitely be things that we'd have to manage and talk about, um, which I'm trying to talk about with the team. But yeah, having having like done the biggest deal <laughs> of my career right in the middle of it and knowing that I was going to take some time in between, I felt, yeah, I felt comfortable with it I think one of the hardest things though is trying to distinguish um, whether what you think you want is good for you 
because I definitely, um, I definitely have always associated success with these quite high pressure environments. And I almost thought like, that's what a good job looks like. Um, and so like trying to learn and to lead in a different kind of way, in a different kind of context. Um, I'm still, I'm still learning in that sense. Did, 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 did anyone counsel you to, you know, you know, what we you know, not put yourself in harm's way, you know, don't do these jobs that, that, that might, you know, that might cause you more injury uh, or, or stress or, 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 or anything like that. Did, did you get, did you hear any of that from, 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 from friends, supporters, allies, or, or, or were people kind of encouraging you back into the, back into the fray? Um, uh, how, how, were, how were your, your friends and peers and loved ones on this? No, I think people were broadly supportive um, of, of trying to, I think partly because I'd, I'd come back and was functioning okay, uh, like at impetus. Like I left in a good planned way with things going okay. Um, so that gave me and others confidence. I think um, the and I planned to take the a big. Uh, I took two months in between as well, so I wanted knew that I'd go into the next thing with like refreshed and with more more energy um so no uh, the one the one thing this is a where what you want might not be good for you the one thing where i did get advice not to do it was trying to start my own thing because that's always something that um i'd thought about and i found my therapist was like uh, i don't normally give careers advice but knowing the pressures of startup life uh, are you sure <laughs> so that was the one where someone was like <laughs> maybe think about think about that one but no broadly like people were people were supportive I didn't get sort of told to take an easier path really yeah yeah and uh I had a I had a, um another um another question in my mind as well um so you you talked about because yeah a lot of illnesses are are, are episodic others are chronic and you talked in the, your opening piece there Andy about about the, you know the enduring nature of 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 some some of the things you, you you're facing um I suppose what's your what's your message to people because I think I think if if you have a mental health issue that's that's almost chronic if in a way if, it, if it's if it's something that you're probably going to live with for a long time um that's quite yeah that, that's that's quite difficult in terms of mitigating that what's been the most effective way of you found of of mitigating and managing what you're facing in in your own health I think the biggest the biggest thing that I learned in hindsight was what are the warning signs that things are getting difficult and what are the things that are like protective factors and that's something that I worked on I I had like um, CBT like uh, therapy um, and still still do Um, and 
So one of the things when I first got ill was that I was just incredibly surprised. So like I I I had got used to um, treating a level of worry and anxiety as normal, which in hindsight was not normal, um, or certainly not healthy, but probably not normal. And so one of the things that I I do now is a backward looking um how have how have you felt this week on I do it on a Sunday uh how have you felt this week and then looking ahead to the week ahead what are the things that might be emotionally demanding or um that you might want to uh keep an eye on and then I, at the same time I do the protective stuff so um the three biggest things for me that would tell me that that I need to keep maintaining are uh, sleep um, uh, time with my wife and um, close friends and then exercise and so I just do a really simple like out of 10 how, how good have I been on those this week and then look into the week ahead like is there anything that's going to hit those like have you got a late one traveling here when you're going to get your ride in that weekend and it's super simple stuff but I hope it I hope it means that things wouldn't get as acute um without me seeing it coming a bit a bit more um yeah that's that's the best habit and then I suppose the other thing that's implicit is that uh, I still get support. Um, I still um, have talking, uh, talking therapy. Yeah, th- thanks, Ali. And something I noticed in in what you said before was was, you know, how surprising this was. You know, you'd lived this kind of high octane life. You know, big job after big job, ever ever ever, you know, growing achievement as well. And it sounds like this 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 completely upended you. And and bef- as as it approached, when you when you look at in the way you've just talked about now about how you felt, were you were you poorly for quite a long time before, you know you you just couldn't deny it, or or, or were you relatively well and then suddenly the wall broke? How do how do how do you see your how do you see that journey uh, from from you know relative health to 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 having you know the the the, the, the you know the, the well, what you called a breakdown, but you know that 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 big moment where you had to take serious time out. Uh, well, how, how do you how do you see this journey from? So, in hindsight, my, my team could see it come in, right? So, like, um, they wouldn't have said like they wouldn't have necessarily said it was a mental health thing, but they once it happened, they were like. You've just been so knackered for months, and so I, I I was ill right at the start of the new year. But they were saying like definitely from September that they'd noticed a, a difference, and that's what I mean about it feeling like it's it snuck up on me because I wasn't looking for the right stuff. Um, yeah. But there were signs for a lot. A lot longer. And listen, like I, I turned forty 
I'd ridden the, I rode the whole Tour de France in 2018, which... Like, that would have took a lot out of you, uh, physically and mentally. Yeah. yeah, and but then also you do it because you're 40 and you're, well, you're trying to be young or whatever. And then um, also um, I had quite a lot of caring uh, responsibilities at the same time. So there, in hindsight, there was a lot of stuff building up probably over that year, really. Yes. Um, so it's just trying to spot it earlier. Hi, hi, Andy, and thanks for being so open. I was just going to ask quite a simple question, really. You know, it's good to sort of look at things and get a protective balance on how you approach things, but obviously triggers can arise without any knowledge that they're going to appear. What what, what do you use to sort of immediately cope with those? What tips can well, you give us? <laughs> yeah, well, the mo- uh, probably the most important thing is that a lot of the time... I don't see him come in and don't respond well. <laughs> like, so there's no, like, perfect, uh, uh, perfect answer to that. And I think one of the, I think one of the hardest things that I've found with mental health problems is not always being able to be the person I'd like to be. So, like, I've talked a bit about getting upset, but there's also times when I would be, like, grumpy with people or rude which is and that I find even I find that really horrible because it's it's almost like you're not able to be who you aspire to be um and so yeah definitely uh there's no I've certainly not found anything perfect I think the having thought about it in advance thing is really helpful because it's not just knowing that you might be triggered but even like you can think through, so this is going to be a difficult conversation. What happens if you start to struggle? Or even you can say sometimes, depending on the nature of the conversation, like I might find this one a bit difficult. So if I get upset, um, either don't worry or I might need to step away. So just having thought some of those practicalities through, I think makes a bit of a difference. And then for the ones where you really don't see it, come in um some of the mindfulness look thinking about your breath um taking a step out and doing some of that i think can take take things down down the level um i've also just got used to crying and stuff a bit more <laughs> which <laughs> may not be a good thing but it's uh sometimes it's ha- crying is not 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 unhealthy depending on the on the context um so yeah so uh i got more comfortable with that i probably didn't cry for 30 years and uh, the team will tell you it's not that rare <laughs> anymore yeah it's um I, 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 obviously you mentioned before andy about like the transitioning from impetus to to impact on urban health and, and, and going into that labor market and feeling quite worried about how the world would see you Mark, you, you, you're involved in the labour market. You, you match people to jobs. Uh, Mark Crowley, you, you, you help find leaders. What, what, what's the atmosphere in the market around leaders who've, who've you know, who've, who've, who are very open about um, either current or past mental ill health? Are things really changing, do you think, Mark? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think probably what resonated with um, Andy's article is, you know, someone having the confidence. And, and actually, I think you 
you said being a, a, a white man gives you the confidence to talk out. Actually, I think it's great to see everyone on this group, but the number of men on this group is is smaller. And I think actually, I, I think a lot of men find it very difficult to speak out, um, actually. Um, and I think where where we see in the labour market is, you know, particularly where we recruit across purpose-driven organisations, we're always looking for that lived experience. But I, I think... Um, I think there is a way to go in terms of creating platforms where people can own their own story, whatever whatever that is. Um, I think that uh, there's probably a fear of how people will be judged, whether it's whether it's talking about mental health or whether it's talking about um, race or whether it's talking about it in in the case of our business, you know, your kind of socioeconomic background as well. And I think um, the sector has gone a long way in the last couple of years in particular to create more inclusive recruitment environments, but there's a long way to go, I think. And I think it's important that we, you know, collectively people share their stories so that people do have the confidence to to speak out and it becomes the norm um, to talk about mental health. I I do think actually to give um, particularly the sector its its credit, um, I think when you do start opening up and when you do start talking about it, there's, there's probably that fear I guess, of how you will be judged. But actually, by and large, I think experiences tend to be very positive. Um, but we are seeing a, a trend um, for all organisations to be looking at well-being. And, and actually, I think where we're challenged the most in this sector um, from candidates is less around salary. I think the kind of economic pressures do, do impact that. But actually, it's around how organisations are investing in their people from a development, but also wellbeing point of view. So I think it's 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 high high up on the agenda. Yeah, thanks, 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 Marka. I do. I, I, as you were talking, what came to mind? I think about it was probably a decade ago. The chief executive, I think it was Lloyd's Bank at the time, a guy called uh, um, go with a Spanish name, who's who, who, I can't pronounce properly, but he, he he took time out due to mental health and his board responded very well and he came back and you know and I think I think he's still running another bank today um that was the kind of first time certainly in the corporate world you know I'd 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 seen we'd seen a response like that and it felt really ahead of its time at the time but I think it would be more normal now even in a corporate environment for 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 a positive response to to follow you know I think as Andy alluded to some, some of our board impetus were you know, red in tooth and claw, you know, but, you know, and but even if Andy had been in one of their own businesses, I suspect that the response would have been a lot more supportive than it perhaps would have been a a decade or two ago, which I think is really encouraging. It teaches you a lot about how weirdly we treat CEOs. That's one of the things I've really noticed not being one anymore, is that even in sort of relatively flat organisations, there's still quite a big like cult of the CEO thing that happens. And that made me reflect that it definitely will have been happening when I was a CEO as well, like a set of assumptions about who can do what and who can speak for an organisation, who we need to ask about, about what. So I think I've actually learned quite a lot if I ever go back to being CEO from stepping, stepping back. And then the, the other thing, just dead practically, we're thinking about it is it is quite it's quite good to get some of the annoying stuff off your to-do list, to be really honest. Like, cause I've spent, I've, this is the first time in four, 
14, 15 years where I've not been having to raise the money. And you work for social purpose organisations to try and have an impact. But as a CEO, you very often spend all your time trying to bring the money in or trying to manage your board. There's a set of stuff that I was actually really happy not to have to think about and to be able to spend more of my time just thinking about how do we achieve more more in the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not... It would have definitely been a lot harder if I didn't know Kieran and have that trust, and I might not have done it, uh, frankly, if if I hadn't had that. But once I had that, I've actually really enjoyed it and learned learned a lot, a lot from it um, as well. Thanks, Andy. And you had your hand up uh, before as well, presumably to feedback on or comment on one or two of the points that yeah, were made in the yeah. Um, really appreciated the conversation. It just like sparked a few things or reminded me of a few uh, a few things. I think I've talked I've talked about it quite a lot as like being able to get back to the level of function, performance, success, whatever that I was at before I got ill. But I, what I haven't I haven't really mentioned some of the things that I think I've probably got better at. And um, the biggest is just empathy. Like, I think no matter how in the abstract you want to be, think you're supportive of people's mental health, having experience of some of the challenges, I, I hope has meant I'm better able to support others going through similar similar things. It's just that thing of, like, there's no substitute for experience, right? So I think in, I'm, I would hope I'm a more rounded leader in some ways as a result. Like, I wouldn't have picked to do it. It's not the best training course if you just want to be a more empathetic leader. But, I, like, I do actually think it has quite sort of, like, profoundly affected some of my relationships in that in that way. Um, on the gender point... Uh, I think I think Mark's spot on, but the way I would describe it is I think men are less likely to share, but then they get disproportionate credit when they do. It's like um, it's like uh, when a when a young dad's out carrying the baby and everyone comes and says, "Oh, how lovely! Is, how lovely is that?" It's amazing. Like, you know, he's just doing the thing that <laughs> that women always do and get no credit for all the time. So it's it's um, it's more like I think you get uh, you get uh, a bit more praise than you probably uh, is proportionate. So, and then on the recruitment thing, um, we're probably at a point where no one people are smart enough not to say they're not hiring you because of your mental health. But in the sort of quiet, <laughs> the board of thinking it through, they've got three candidates, one who's had mental health problems. There'll definitely be jobs I won't get because of it. Um, I'm not applying for jobs, but if I was. Um, where I came out on that was, well, do I want or would it be good for me to work for an organisation that thought that way? So I just sort of conclude I'm being turned down by places that I wouldn't want to work anyway. Like it is. So um, that that means there's some jobs that would look exciting from the outside, but like if people are making decisions that way, it's probably 
good for me too, ultimately. But out of all this that you've shared, Andy, what, what, what do you think is, what would you like us most to take from today? Well, first, I'm really, really grateful for everyone joining, particularly my own people, my own uh, team, my own organisation, because it it's simultaneously like quite weird for them to hear all this, but also uh, really, uh, really lovely. Um, and uh, I'm finding it very supportive for colleagues to be here uh, with me as well. So I just wanted to uh, say that. I think the most important thing is that you can still do big things and big can mean totally different things for different people. It doesn't need to be high profile. It doesn't need to be high pressure, but the, my, the thing I was most scared of was not being able to do things that I cared about that used my talents and strengths and, abilities and I think you can and I'm not I'm not comparing myself to either of these people but when you read history um both Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill who are considered like great leaders in different respects and by different people and in in different ways had absolutely crippling depression Churchill talks about the black dog um and that bit gets washed out of history you just you just um you just hear about the successes and it also gets washed out of leaders cvs you you hear about oh they did this amazing thing or they, they built they did this deal or they built this organization loads of people that you think are both really successful and bulletproof are not <laughs> and so so that's that's probably the biggest thing that i that i've learned from my my own ex- experiences that you can you can do the stuff you want to do you might need to do it differently you need to learn about yourself but don't rule yourself out because you're not feeling great